A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, writer and broadcaster, Sam Baker. Where do you turn when everything feels hopeless? My guest today knows the answer better than most. Nine years ago, in the space of just one week, Raina Wynn lost her home and her husband Moth was diagnosed with a degenerative disease. In the face of such loss, there was only one thing to do. They packed what little of their life they could carry into their backpacks and walked. That walk, 630 miles along the southwest coast path, became the bestseller, The Salt Path. It sold a million copies, spent more than 90 weeks in the Sunday Times bestseller lists and changed thousands of lives. Despite defying the medical odds, two years ago, Moth's health began to decline again. Clutching at hope, they set out for one last walk. This time, a thousand miles, from Cape Roth in the far northwest of Scotland, back home to Cornwall. But in walking back home, could they really walk Moth back to health? It was almost as if I was wiped clean of everything I'd been before, and I became what that path made me. Raina joined me to talk about the book of that epic journey, Landlines. We also discussed the power of walking, putting yourself in the way of hope, and how a shy girl hiding behind the sofa became a public person at 60. Why not grab a cuppa and join us? The connection is occasionally patchy, so I apologise in advance for any lapses in sound quality. I really, really have been looking forward to speaking to you so much, Raina. Your books, I've been transported and I was listening yesterday. I had another listen to you read The Wild Silence. So it's really strange hearing your voice now. I kind of knew exactly what to expect before you came on. You knew who I was? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How does that feel? You must have millions. Well, you've got millions of people now who think they know who you are. It's funny, isn't it? Um, I found it really strange at events that people seem to think they know everything. And probably they do. They probably know all the worst bits, actually, thinking about it. But it's quite nice now, whereas I was so nervous doing events before. Now I've come to realise most people have read the books, so feel as if they know me. So I treat it like just going to have a chat with friends now, and it's a lot easier. So, So that's quite nice. Yeah, I mean, actually, I wanted to ask you all about that big change in your life to having to be really public. But before that, we probably should, in the unlikely event that anybody's listening to this and hasn't read The Salt Path, we should probably go there. And I'm sure that you've talked about this about a thousand times, if not a million times now. But can you just tell us what led up to that that walk? What led to The Salt Path happening? Um, it sort of originated from a really difficult week in our lives. We were living in Wales in a house where we lived for 20 years. It was our home, our business. It was it was our children's home where they'd grown up. It was everything, really. It was everything we put our time and effort and everything, emotion of the last 20 years into that house. Um, but at the same time, we'd had a sort of like financial dispute with a friend. And... Um, 
It led to a court case that saw us being served with an eviction notice. They gave us a week to leave the house. During that week, my husband, Moth, he was diagnosed with a neurodegenerative disease that has no cure. And, um, yeah, it was the worst week of my life, really. And it was in the final few moments before we left the house. I spotted a book in the packing case, and it was a book written by a young man who'd walked the southwest coast path with his dog. And just in that awful moment when we got nowhere to go, no accommodation, we knew we were going to become homeless. In that moment, the idea of going for a walk seemed the most obvious thing to do. So we did. You said going for a walk was the most obvious thing to do. Was that because you've been with Moth since you were like 19, 20, is that right? 18. Yeah. 18. Yes. Well, all of my adult life, really. Was walking always a thing for you in your relationship? We'd walked a lot when we were young, when we were in our early 20s. We sort of backpacked a bit through the Lake District and Scotland. Um, so it, it always had been a thing. But as we got older and children and the property in Wales, it had taken up a lot of our time. So we hadn't backpacked really in all the years since then. Um, so it came as quite a surprise to find that actually putting a rucksack on when you're 50 is just not the same as when you're 20. <laughs> <laughs> Well, is that really a surprise? Mm. Well, <laughs> you don't notice the years passing, do you? No. <laughs> little markers like putting a rucksack on remind you that time has gone. <laughs> yeah, it's like you kind of, I don't know. I mean, I was never like a particularly uh, bendy child, should we say. Like I could never do, like, touch my toes or do headstands or anything like that. But now I just think, you know, when you try and do anything lo- like that, you're like, oh, my God, yeah. where's it gone? We don't notice, do we, that our bodies change until suddenly we try to test them against something that used to be okay, and suddenly it isn't. And then then I think we notice the years have passed. Yeah, just like putting a rucksack on. <laughs> yeah. When you went for that walk, what were you thinking? Were you thinking anything about... I think what drew us to it was the idea of following a line on a map, because... Everything that we had built, you know, the whole life that we'd built up to that point, the whole structure that we'd spent 20 years of our lives putting together had just been completely blown apart and taken away. And it's as if the days had no purpose, as if they were just a void. And just the idea of following a line on a map just seemed to give us a purpose, a sense of a reason to go on into the next day. I think we really had lost that reason, you know. Well, because it's like you spend, you know, your whole life, don't you, building a thing, whatever your politics or whatever are, you're still, there's still a kind of a belief that, you know, two and two equal four and you build your your business or your house or your whatever you're advocating for in your relationship. And then so to have all of those all of that scaffolding, all of your emotional and physical and financial scaffolding pulled away at that point. And then Moth's diagnosis on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was like all of our, our future thoughts of where the future would go, gone. All of the ideas of, of, of everything that we'd built over all those years, gone. The home, the business, kids going to university, all those things that we all do, all gone. All that was left was the fact that I was still their mum though they were wherever they were in the country. Moth was now, well, his future was looking very limited. And what do you do with that? How do you how do you pick that up? And the days just seemed as if there was no reason to them, as if there was no purpose to go forwards. And uh, so when we picked up that guidebook, and right through the guidebook is an OS map that covers the whole route, suddenly seeing that route pencilled out ahead of us through the guidebook, it was like, yes, and there is that day, and there's the next day. And at that point, that was as far as we could think, a purpose to get up in the morning and go forwards. Because in a weird way, it looks like, when you first think about it, it looks like the most extremely spontaneous thing. Oh, I love that you're drinking tea. You wouldn't be you if you didn't have a cup of tea. Oh, I've got to have a cup of tea. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I took, sorry, I'm massively digressing now, but did you ever back in the day watch Twin Peaks? Yes, I did. Yeah. And do you remember how he was always having a coffee? Yes. And when you watched it, you kind of felt like you had to have a coffee 
with Agent, whatever his name was. I felt like that about tea when I read your books. I feel like I need to have a cup of tea because Raina and Martha have got a cup of tea. Yeah, and I think uh, I think in the most recent book, I drink even more tea. It's like the tea. You really do. <laughs> it's an obsession, I'm sure. Before we we get on to landlines, you were kind of touched on earlier about how hard it was going on on stage to begin with, and I was really struck, actually, particularly when I was reading The Wild Silence or listening to you read The Wild Silence, I was thinking, you know, you describe yourself as you know, a little girl who's tied behind the sofa rather than, you know, talk to strangers. So how did you manage to get yourself from a little girl who hides behind the sofa to a person who can walk onto a stage with 800 people who are there just to listen to you? That's a huge leap, isn't it? It's been really hard, actually. It's been one of the hardest bits of the whole book publishing process for me. I I gave the manuscript to the publishers And I thought that was it. I thought that was the end of it. I gave them the manuscript. We did a bit of editing. And then it just appeared on the bookshelves. And I thought that was was it. But then, and it wasn't until then, that they told me that I got to do this PR for the book. I got to actually go and talk to people about the book. I was absolutely horrified. I tried to get the manuscript back. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, Too late, and they wouldn't give me it back. Um, But it was really, really hard because... I'd, I'd never talk to people. I'd never talk to... I certainly wouldn't talk to strangers in the street. You know, if you've read The Wild Silence, you know I went for nearly a year and said nothing more than hello to anybody around. Mm. And um, it just wasn't something that I felt I could do. I've, I've even um, hidden out in toilets at book events in the early days, trying to think, if I just disappear, will anybody care? <laughs> you know... <laughs> they would care. <laughs> <laughs> But somebody always found me and dragged me out. Um, but then, then it, it was sort of a change happened, and it was at those book events when, when in signing queues afterwards, when people would come and tell me their story, how they reacted to the book I'd written, or how life had dealt them some sort of blow, and and how they'd resolved it. So many, so many different stories. It's as if I put my story out there. That had encouraged a thousand to come back. And I think it was in somewhere in there, I started to realise we're all the same. You know, we all share the same hopes and fears and dreams. And maybe I didn't need to be quite so afraid of interacting with people. Maybe it was there, maybe it was somewhere there, I'm not sure. But now it's much, much easier now. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to go and talk to people about the books now. Yeah. Why do you think... The Salt Path resonated. I mean, it resonated and then times a million, really, didn't it? I mean, it sold a million copies and in a crazy way. So it wasn't just successful. It was, it became one of those books, you know, that everybody had read and it was everywhere and in, in the bestseller list for like 80 weeks, which is... Yeah. It turned out to be 90-something in the end. It just... Oh, my God. Yeah, it just kept on going. And... In the Netherlands, it's it's still in the top ten, and it's been there forever. I can't quite put my finger on it, but I, back to those signing queues and all the stories that I've shared now, people who've written to me or stopped me in the street or whatever, just to share their story. I think I've come to realise that we all have a moment in life when things fall apart, and I think you're really, really lucky if you don't hit that somehow, life, financially, health-wise emotionally, some way or another, life hits the barriers. And I think we all share that. We all share that sense of life taking a change of direction, respectively, or not in the way we hoped it would. And, you know, it's it's a question of what you do then, isn't it? What you do after that point, how you get up and get back into life again. And I think we all share that. So it was, in a way, like I said, you put, you put that story out and come back it's a bit loaves and fishes in that way and I think I think it's become not just my story but it's it almost become like a, a shared experience in a way it might not be that it might be something else but <laughs> <laughs> reading landlines which I had to sign an NDA to get a copy of because yeah. you got an that's, early one. <laughs> that's how important you are now it's like you have to like sign your life away to get a copy of the book before the embargoes <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and I was just thinking, you know, when you're walking on the trail and you've got all these things going on in your life and you've got people coming up to you and going, are you Raina Wynn? I mean, how did that feel? Was that... That was so funny, actually. There were some really, really funny encounters with people who had read the book. Um, you know, really, really strange moments when people were saying, oh, are you Raina Wynn? We're walking this path because of you. And then this lady who was walking because it was her birthday and her friends saying, I hate you. I just wanted to go to a spa. And then another moment where um, someone was talking to us about the size of our rucksacks and saying, oh, if you're walking, you should drink a salt path. Uh, It'll teach you a thing or two about walking. It was like, he got ill, they lost the house. I think he died in the end. And <laughs> <laughs> that, that was really, really funny. I was uh, stabbing moth with my fork under the table to try and uh, stop him saying anything at the time. Wasn't moth tempted to say, uh, he didn't? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was, um, yeah, some really, really funny encounters because of that. But lovely as well, some lovely people who... Had, Again, share their stories, you know, and that was that was great. So tell me um, about writing Landlines. How has it been? Because you wrote The Salt Path, you know, for yourself, for Moth, not for public consumption. So how was it then to sit down and write a book knowing that a million people had read the first one? Yeah, it's a different experience. Like you say, The Salt Path, I wrote it for Moth just so that he would remember that path. And it was it was a book I wrote that followed the path. It just simply followed the path. So it was a, a linear physical journey. Um, then when I wrote The Wild Silence, it was sort of different because because I was trying to explain an emotion in a way um, which needed me to go back into my childhood in order to go forwards. That was a much harder book to write. So I realised I was just writing an emotional journey. And so... As soon as I could see it as a journey, it became a different process. But I think I learned so much about the actual, about actually writing during those two books. But when I came to do Landlines, there was a moment of people might read this, you know, there's going to be a few people read this. Um, and, and I was sort of like carrying the weight of being conscious of that just to start with. But then I had to put that out of my mind and just think, actually, I'm going to just write this as I've written before, just as if I'm talking to one person and I want them to go on that journey with me. And that's the only way I can write it. And I realise that that's maybe the only way I can write it. <laughs> it's just, just think I'm just telling someone something and they're coming with me. Yeah, because it's it's really interesting, actually, reading them back to back, as I kind of have in the last few days. Yeah. That you can kind of tell that you just wrote the first one and it's, it's just your voice. Yeah. And Landlines is, I mean, I absolutely loved it. It's beautiful. But you can tell that you're a writer writing can it. Can you? Yeah. Do you, does that to make me, sense? To me, it just sounds just the same. Yeah. Publisher, just the evolution, maybe. Yeah, and the publisher said something sim similar, you know. And I thought, maybe it is just an evolution. Maybe it's just that, yeah, Salt Path. I'd never written anything before. I'd never, I'd never even tried to write before um so it was a whole new experience for me just writing that but the wild silence was a completely different thing I think I sort of like learned how to write when I wrote the wild silence because it was a, a more complex structure to create so that was different but then I think so this time I think I was bringing that understanding from both of those books I was bringing into the writing of this for me, I thought maybe it's not as good because I felt like it had been too easy to write and it had felt like an easier process. But maybe that's just having the experience now of having written before. I don't know. <laughs> so tell me a bit about the background to Landlines. Well, it sort of uh, originated from the winter of 2021 uh, when we were in lockdown again um, and all restricted again to our local area and moth's health really started to decline um, we were walking but just not walking far enough just not doing enough physical activity and his health really did start to decline and maybe it was just declining it got nothing to do with the physical activity I always put it down to that but maybe it was just a progressive decline through his illness to the point where 
he was finding it hard to walk far. His movements were becoming uncoordinated. He was starting to lose some of his cognition, really, in some some elements and memory and small finger movements. And lots, lots of things were happening to the point where he was really beginning to think he was maybe reaching those heading towards those latter stages of the illness that none of us you know, were really prepared to face. But that's what he felt. He thought now it was reaching a point where there was no way back. Um, and it, it was at that point where really one day he fell. He fell in the orchards where we live for no apparent reason at all. And it sort of tipped the balance in his thinking to think that actually this was it. The final decline was coming. I couldn't face that. I couldn't face the thought of just not trying, just one more time, and just knowing how his health had improved when we walked on the coast path, how it had improved in ways the doctors had said were impossible. I just couldn't give up on the idea that we could just try one more time. And we've got this uh, pile of books on the bookshelf next to the log basket in our sitting room, and a little waterproof-backed guidebook and um, I knocked them off one day when I was I was getting some logs and um, and all those guidebooks were there in front of me Southwest Coast Path guidebook and it was all rippled like the beach when the tide goes out and held together with an elastic band and full of bits of feathers and bits of undergrowth and pieces of paper along with them there was this other tiny little guidebook fell out and it was really thin and unused, and it was a guidebook to Cape Bath Trail. And I started to think, you know, if any path in this country was going to encourage Martha to try to walk a distance one more time, then it would be that one, because the Cape Bath, it's a trail through the most remote, isolated wilderness in Britain. It's where Martha's always wanted to spend time, but we've never had time. And I just thought that would be the one, although it seems now, you know, sort of reckless and maybe negligent or, you know, cruel almost, but I kept leaving it around the house. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't seem any of those things, but it does seem like, couldn't you have picked a shorter one? <laughs> yeah, a while after, after he'd, um, you know, fought against the idea for a few weeks and then, and then actually come around to maybe, yes, that would be the one. It was then that I started to watch um, YouTube blogs of people who had walked that path and I realised just how hard it was, that it was it was a path where there were a lot of the, a lot of the route, there was no way in by road. The only way in was by walking or by boat. We'd cross in bogs and through days of, of not being able to go to a shop, you know, days of, of having to carry all our supplies between points where we could buy more food. I think it was then that I started to realise just what a tough thing it actually was going to be and that it was probably too much for Moth. So I was I was trying to suggest other things like, you know, let's do the South Downs way or, <laughs> or let's let's go and do the Ridge way. <laughs> but by then he got he got his sights on the Cape Wrath Trail and that was where we were going. <laughs> Why do you think walking does make such a difference? Do you know? I don't actually have the answer and uh, strangely neither do the doctors. But Walking is fundamentally what we're built to do, isn't it? So it's got to it's got to speak to our bodies in some form or another. Yeah, so we have this thing called neuroplasticity where um our brains have the ability to to adapt and to change. We know it exists, but we don't know an awful lot about it. Um but we do know that there are parts of the brain that grow in in response to physical activity. Let's just go with parts of the brain. Parts of the brain <laughs> that can grow in response to physical activity. And there's been research that shows that, um, such as people who have Alzheimer's who have done some quite you know strenuous endurance training and have, have had a return of cognitive abilities that, that should have been lost, that we previously thought would have been lost forever. So there are ways in which... It does respond to to walking and 
it's not something that we have all the answers for yet, but the body of evidence is slowly starting to grow that through physical activity we can change our bodies and our minds. The physical structure of our minds can change through physical activity and we don't know enough about it. So hence, people in the medical profession can't really recommend it as a therapy because we don't yet have that body of, of research to back that up. But at some point in the future, somehow, I feel that will come. Have you always used walking for kind of you know mental health for to make you feel better to kind of as a form of I don't know I don't want to say meditation but you know what I mean to yeah take you out of yourself I don't know but I think I think as I started to look into this idea of connection to nature when I was writing a wild silence I think I started to realise that from a very young age, I'd always treated the natural world as my safe place, a place where I felt safe and secure. And when things went wrong in my childhood life, the fields and the woods were where I went. And I can see now, looking back on it, that that's something that followed through into my adult life as well, that it's always been almost like an instinctive reaction to go out into a wild space and there's something about being in that natural environment where there's no man-made pressures I think for mental health is is without question um, a space where we can find a way back into, into ourselves really because we all we all fundamentally have as part of what we are as part of humans and and just a living organism within this big ecosystem that we live in. We all have an intrinsic connection to the natural world. And even if we don't recognise that because our lives are busy and urban, connection doesn't go away because we are part of that big breathing organic mass that is this earth. So when we spend time in nature, I think, I think it just allows us to connect to something so much bigger than ourselves. And in that, we can let go of some of the small stuff. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you set out on the walk, did you imagine it would be another book? Um, I took a notepad this time and started (laughs) because I I started to keep notes because I wanted to see how Moth's health changed. So we had this thing every Sunday. We did a we did a Sunday check in on his health. That was the main purpose of my notebook. But as the walk went along and we decided from the Cape Wrath, the end of the Cape Wrath Trail, 
that when we were in Fort William and realised that it was also the end of the West Highland Way and that maybe we could just walk that bit further along the West Highland Way. Then I started to really keep notes because I thought, this is something a little bit bigger. This is something that actually feels, it feels like something I want to, I want to tell people about because it wasn't just the, the fact that we were walking and that Moth's health was slightly changing at that point, but because Scotland is such an incredibly beautiful remote, wild place. I wanted to document that because when in your life do you get to walk the whole length of Scotland and, and I wanted to capture that. So so I did start to keep notes. It's not really a natural process for me, keeping notes, because it's not something I ever really have done before, but I sort of got a bit better at it as I went along. <laughs> I was thinking earlier that the, really the wild silence is a, a book that's about trust and learning I mean learning to trust other people again but also learning to trust yourself yeah um and landlines if anything is about hope isn't it yes and I love the I love the phrase you use a few times about how you've got to put yourself in the way of it yeah we were in the very north of Scotland. We were we had intended setting off from Cape Wrath, which is right on the very northwestern corner of Scotland, and there's this lighthouse on the cliffs. But the military had closed the area off, so we couldn't go there. So we started a walk from this incredible beach called Shagra, which is only maybe eight miles, ten miles south of Cape Wrath. But it's this beautiful beach where the rocks are pink in the evening light and where we saw sea eagles and wheat ears. And it was just a remarkable place. But we were just sitting on, on the cliff edge there one evening uh, before we started walking. And there were a couple of climbers just about to go pitch our ropes and go over the, over the cliff edge. And uh, we were saying that we wanted to take this walk, but now we couldn't start from Cape Wrath. It didn't feel quite right somehow. And... This woman said this book, you know, start from Shagra. It's beautiful. Because what you're doing, it doesn't matter where you start. You're walking for, in hope. And that's what you've got to do. Put yourself in the way of hope and see what comes. And I loved that idea. That, and that's what you've got to do, isn't it? When all else is falling apart, if you're going to hope, you've got to allow it in for You've got to allow yourself to hope. And I think that's what I'm saying by putting yourself in the way of hope. It's like giving yourself permission to hope. I think that's the thing. Just allow, allow yourself hope and then anything can come from that. Yeah, and, and I guess from what you were saying earlier, you know, convincing Moth to allow himself hope too. That was the hardest thing because he had given up hope almost at that point. He was almost there at the point where he was going to say enough now. Um, I'm not going to try anymore. I can't keep trying. It's too hard. But hope sort of fed in through those really remote glens and and with the wildlife and the deer and the golden eagles, somehow the hope just started to creep into him as he realised that actually he was walking a little further every day, that he was feeling a little bit stronger every day. So that when we did get to the end of, of the Cape Wrath Trail, it was his idea to carry on walking. It was him who chose to keep going and to watch him in that moment full of hope full of the possibility that if he walked just another hundred miles just for just another week another two weeks that maybe he'd be able to walk out of those symptoms that he was feeling it was worth any of the difficulties that we'd gone through on the Cape Wrath Trail just to watch that hope growing there's something you say in the book um, about the skill of the long distance walker and talking about the knowledge that however tough it is that you'll get through it and you'll be better for it at the end and it reminded me it reminded me very much of Cheryl Strayed's Wild and I don't know if you've read oh, that there's right. a, yes the yeah. point where she loses a boot yeah and she has you know two choices she can go back or she can go forward and the only way really is to go forward and through you know, yeah. the only way out is through. And I think it made me think that that's probably what it is. Yeah. Probably about the salt path and about landlines and just about life, you know. It's just keep going skill. forward. It's that skill of just keeping going. 
that that point, we'd walked into this glen in an incredible torrential rainstorm, um, and we had to cross the river that was rising behind us to a point where you know it almost closed us off, and ahead was another another river that we needed to cross before it too rose to a point where we couldn't cross it. But in between those two and halfway down this glen, in this incredible rainstorm that was just pouring down the mountainsides like a huge just mountainside waterfall, somewhere along that glen, Moth fell and he split his head on, on a rock. He split the skin on his head on a rock and it made him feel quite dazed. And we had to put the tent up and just get in a tent. And then the water rose and it rose and we were trapped there. And we spent a couple of days then in, in that valley with a river on one side and waterfalls coming off the mountain on, on two sides. But during that time, we opened the tent flaps in this incredible rainstorm just as the rain dropped for a moment. And there were these deer that had come down and were right outside our tent. And... They, they'd been trapped on this one patch of dry ground, um, the same as we were. And there, was, there was this stag, and he shook his, his coat just at that moment when the rain stopped, and it threw this shower of, of water droplets around him that caught this low-level sunlight, and it formed this, like a rainbow around this stag in this glen. And I think... I think we just watched that and we felt so much a part of the landscape, of the light, of the water, of the stag. You know, it's as if we were just part of it all. But we realised then when the, when the water finally dropped and we could go on, that we had to go on, that we had to just keep walking. And, and the only way was forwards, the only way in life is forwards because there is no way, you know, and we can carry carry all the regrets and fears and concerns of the past with us, but we can't do anything about it. We can only go forwards. So you've just got to go forwards in the best way you can. And I think maybe that's what comes with the books and the readers, just finding a way. We're all finding a way to go forwards, aren't we, in the best way we can. I mean, with the salt path, obviously... You couldn't go back because there was nowhere to go back to. Yeah. With this walk, was it harder to keep going forward because there was somewhere to to go? It was harder because um, it was harder to leave in the first place because we were. And then it was harder to keep going when there's always the possibility that you can go back to your own bed. You can go back and light the fire and make a cup of tea and and just go back to ordinary everyday comfort. But then we, you know, every time we would remind ourselves why we were walking. And also to go back, we were going back to that point where Moth's health was really bad. And and it was then in those moments of, of thinking we'll go back that we realised how much we were walking just out of hope. And it was that hope that I think drove us to keep going just keep going forwards no matter how many little setbacks and hardships we had along the way it was it was the hope of the, the possibility of what it could do for his health that kept us going when you did this most recent walk you were both 60 the first walk you encountered a lot of prejudice around the fact that you were homeless and also around your age this time there was still some homelessness stuff especially when you got nearer to home but it was the age thing. They at your age just came up again and again and again, didn't it? It did. It did. And it always does when we walk, especially when we've got the rucksacks. I think younger people really think you put a rucksack on your back and it's a younger person's adventure. Or maybe maybe it's something more fundamental than that. Maybe they just see us like their parents and I don't I, I don't know, but um <laughs> It definitely kept coming up. I think we're a very ageist society, aren't we? Oh, God, we really are. We, fo- we focus on young people and um, their lives and ambitions. And we forget that adventures and, and hopes and dreams and ambitions go on throughout your life. They don't stop when you get a few grey hairs or a few wrinkles. Fundamentally, as people, I think I think we're, we're always 
you know, driven forwards by those desires in life, no matter what age we are. It's a strange one, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Because, you know, whilst the backpack might be heavier or harder to carry, the will to do it is not necessarily less. In fact, it may well be greater. I think it's greater, actually. I think I think uh, the older you get, I think you have a, maybe an increased sort of sense of stamina because, because you learn through life that you have to keep going, that you learn not to be quite so focused on those little small things that that irritate you maybe not maybe what i'm saying is as you get older you become less internalized so it is easier to keep going in a way regardless of pains and tiredness and blisters oh god have you got pictures of your feet um, I have somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> From the time. Oh, gosh. I found it terrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you know, what most people have survived by 50 anyway, but what you have, you and Moth have been through, you know, what's a little walk? I think, I think the more things you go through in life, the more it builds that sense of resilience, doesn't it? That sense of, okay, so that was bad, but I'm going to keep going. And I think that grows through your life. And, and resilience isn't something you're born with. It's something you, you develop and, and it grows. And I think the older you get, actually, the more resilient you need to be. So maybe that, that makes us all natural long-distance walkers. I don't know. <laughs> I was really interested by, well, two ob- observations you made about the people, the other people walking, and about the fact that between Cape Roth and Fort William, Fort William that's it, yeah. Ugh, my brain, okay. <laughs> um, that you didn't see any other women on that leg of it. And then on the once you got onto the West Highland Way, you started to see more women and groups of women and middle-aged women often in search of something yeah why do you think that was it's a difficult one actually i've I've tried to sort of reason this one out but the cape rough trail has this really it has a reputation for being really tough really hard going you've got long stretches where you have to carry all your food long stretches between any habitation so maybe it's a sense of safety Maybe it's a sense of safety in the landscape or sense of safety as a woman out there in the wild. But actually, I've found it's one of the safest places because the people who are on that path, who strangely enough do seem to be virtually all men, can only be there because they really want to be on that path and they want to be walking because most of them have had to walk in because there are no roads in those areas. They've had to walk through that. Landscape, so it's actually actually really quite a safe place to be. But but then again, it seemed that we passed. It was just men. It was just men everywhere. Groups of men, single men on the road. But all the time, that sense of men testing themselves against the landscape, testing <laughs> themselves against time and distance, and maybe that puts women off to an ex- extent. Maybe we just don't naturally do that. Maybe we would go to a landscape because it's beautiful and we just want to see the beauty of it and wouldn't push ourselves into those extreme places just for simply to to record the fact that we waded through a bog that was thigh deep maybe we don't need i don't know but there were a lot more women on the west Highland way there were groups of women and you know older women middle-aged women you know just exploring the landscape because they were looking for something something new something that was for them, something that they were looking for that was theirs. And younger women as well, younger women straight out of university that were were using it as a place to just connect to each other as much as they were connected to the landscape. And that was wonderful to see after that really masculine sort of atmosphere of the Cape Wrath. I did meet one group of three women on the Cape Wrath Trail, but they too were saying, where are the women? So it, mm. it was interesting. Um, I think maybe it comes down to to how women think about think about being alone, how they think about themselves within the, the landscape. And I think really in this modern age, women do tend to think about safety, personal safety, in a way men maybe don't need to. Mm. I'm not sure. There are lots of elements to that one. I think your life has changed just like beyond recognition 
in the last is it 10 years since you did the is that right since you did the nine, salt years. Bo- nine. nine years uh what what next what now do you think I, it really has changed beyond recognition completely um i would never have dreamt of walking a long distance path never mind writing about it or talking about it even, you know, so completely changed. But recently I've been doing something I I, I really didn't think I would be doing that either. Um, last year, um, a group called Gig Spanner Big Band got in touch with me and said, would you like to do a collaboration of words and music? And um, I looked into who they were and they were such a, a renowned group of musicians that I couldn't say no. Um, so I said yes I had really no idea what I was saying yes to um, and what we've created really is a, a portrait of the southwest so we've got the southwest coast through the old songs that originated from the area that they've collected and new words that I've written and we've been performing this this musical word show um, around the southwest and now we've got another tour coming up in the autumn and that has been possibly one of the most unexpected things that I've I've done because following on from what we said earlier about that being able to talk about the book that, that shy girl behind the sofa to then be on the stage performing has been has been an absolute complete 360 in my life yeah it's it's uh, it couldn't have been a more extreme change so yeah <laughs> oh, i saw on, on your instagram they is it you called the salt lines yes yeah and um i did think you know from after you finished the salt path walking the salt path that kind of time when you were writing the book, but before you were writing the book and you were, you had somewhere to live again, but you, like you said, you didn't talk to anybody for nearly a year. And it's kind of crazy that, you know, you're now on stage performing, not just talking about your book, but performing a thing that you wrote with musicians and you didn't even want to talk to a stranger who was knocking at the door. And that's the change that that walk has wrought on your life. Yes. And all of that has come from, walking that path from the 630 miles of the coast path because it changed everything it changed the way I saw life the way I saw myself the way the way I I saw everything everything because when we we started walking that path it was almost as if I was wiped clean of everything I'd been before and I became what that path made me and maybe it took me a few years after we stopped walking to actually process what that path had meant. But I think without that, I certainly could never possibly have been where I am now. It just couldn't have happened. It was it was really like somebody pressed a reset button on my life. Very, very unusual experience. <laughs> yeah, incredible. Um, I'm going to ask you the questions that I always ask at the end now, because I've taken loads of your time. What's your emotional age? My emotional age? That's a tricky one, but I always think I got to about 35 and sort of got stuck. And I don't know if I've ever sort of like stepped beyond that. <laughs> Why do you think That's that what was? emotional age is. I don't know. I don't know what emotional age actually even is. <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever been asked to define it, actually. I think it's probably, uh, I don't want to say how you feel, but I suppose the age you are in inside as opposed to outside. I don't know. I think... Good question. Physically, physically, obviously, I'm, I'm very well aware that I'm not 35. <laughs> um, but in, in my thinking, in the way I, I, I feel about myself, I don't think I progress that far beyond that, really. I think I sort of like built to that point and then that's where I stayed. I don't know. I don't know. It's a tricky. Interesting question. Very interesting question. That's one I'll have to ask other people. It always does get really interesting answers, actually. Um, give us a book recommendation. It can be a book that's had a major impact on you through your life or it can just be a good book that you read lately just recently i read a a new book by amy liptrot it was called the instant loved that book it was just such a really sort of raw beautiful emotional story of a moment in amy's life when when she's looking for connection to to 
of the people, connection to the land, to connection to herself. And it's, it's like a, a really passionate, beautiful book of, of raw emotion. I just loved it. Uh, what advice would you give younger women? This is tricky because I've got I've got a a daughter. Um, what advice do I give her? Is basically believe in yourself. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you can't achieve something, that you're not good enough. Because because women are they're strong, they're powerful, and we're capable of anything. Believe. Who is your old bird role model? So an older woman who's inspired you. Old bird role model. Oh, my God, that's a tricky one. Now, I don't know her name. I don't know her name. But once when we were walking in the Lake District, when Moth and I were in our early 20s, we were, we were climbing this mountain, walking up a mountain. And this old lady in a, a tweed skirt and a trilby hat uh, with really, really hockey player legs rumped past us up this hill saying great days beyond the mountain and off she disappeared into the distance and so old bird role model I've probably always kept a picture of that woman in my head with like okay keep going (laughs) I don't know her name I don't know who she was but she stuck with me always (laughs) she sounds completely brilliant um what's your superpower I can multitask like nobody else (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can write a book while writing lyrics for a show, while helping Moth run a cider farm, while being a mum, while doing all those things. Um, and lastly, how many fucks do you give? None. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. What's the point? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Ray. It's been an absolute joy to talk to you absolutely loved it thank you it was brilliant great questions thank you so much thank you for listening you can hear a new episode of the shift each tuesday wherever you get your podcasts if you like what you hear please do rate review and follow because it really does help other people find us and if you'd like to support the shift further please consider becoming a member of our community find out more at steady.media forward slash the shift Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.